Well, good evening and welcome to our service. Uh, we're glad that you can join us online. Uh, again, as we've done in previous weeks, just to remind you that we are meeting for coffee uh, after church. Uh, a link was sent on Thursday, uh, but again, if you have problems accessing uh, the online coffee time, uh, please do let me know. Well, we're going to begin our service together by praising our God, and our first hymn is All Creatures of Our God and King.
Well, in our passage in Matthew tonight, we're going to see our Lord Jesus speak of those who are wise and foolish, and those who will be surprised when God says to them, I do not know you. Now, you may be familiar with this language as we've been going through Matthew's gospel, because it's language Jesus has used before uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And our reading this evening is taken from there. We're going to read uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 29. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn there. Uh, And Paula is now going to come and read that for us. Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 29. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Well, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you warn us here about false teachers and about being true disciples ourselves. And we pray that we would bear fruit as your people that shows we are your children. May we not hear from you, I never knew you, but rather would we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. As we think of your return, help us to live in the light of it, wisely building our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ and what the apostles taught us. Help us to take seriously the call to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And as we do so, may we anticipate with excitement the future in store for us as the children of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in recent uh, weeks, uh, we have been going through uh, 2 Peter in our morning services. We've just finished uh, a series on that. 
And the parables that we're going to be looking at in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25 uh, speak of the return of Christ in a very similar way uh, as Peter spoke of them in his letter. And what I thought would be a good thing for us to do is to learn a couple of verses from Second Peter that help us think of the second coming and the reason why that second coming is delayed, which is so that people can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. So we're going to try and learn these verses together. Uh, we'll do those over the next few Sundays, but perhaps during the week you could take some time uh, to learn these verses for yourselves. Uh, memorizing scripture is a really good way uh, of, of knowing God's word better and just meditating on the truths uh, that are in there. Uh, so maybe you could do that as, as families or um, uh, or as individuals, however, uh, whatever your situation, try and learn these verses from Second Peter about the return of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read these out loud, and as I'm reading it, uh, I'm imagining you at home uh, following along, saying the words along with me. So let's read these words together. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So those verses would be great for us all to, to put to memory and Think about the truths of them in relation to the return of Jesus Christ. But our next song praises God for his great love for us and speaks of the hope that we have in his return when every eye will see him. Let's sing King of the Ages, Almighty God.
Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this evening knowing you are a loving, gracious, kind and unchanging God. You know us far better than we know ourselves and see all our failings and weaknesses. And yet you, the perfect, holy, sinless God, love us, love me, just as I am and just as we are. This amazes us. How you care about and for each one of us is mind-blowing, and yet you do. We give you our love and thanks in response to your amazing grace, which saved a wretch like me. We know you hear us too when we come to you with our concerns, and we would do that now. We bring all those in our fellowship who are ill or who are anxious about upcoming health issues and treatments. We pray too for the young people of our fellowship who are perhaps apprehensive about restarting school. Give them a real sense of your presence with them in the day-to-day -day situations they'll be facing. We praise you because there is nowhere that you're not able to enter. No government ban, no bar, no rules or regulations can keep you out. As the psalmist could ask, where can I go from your spirit, O Lord? Father, we'd ask now that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word. Make us receptive to what you want to convey to us. Give a holy confidence to Steve as he speaks. Enable him to know the power of your spirit at work in him, to open up the scriptures to us. Father, we would dare to ask to experience that same feeling that the, that the disciples had as our Lord spoke with them after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. They could say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Keep us, Lord, from ever treating your word as just written text on a page in a book. Your word is living. Let us guard our hearts from becoming hardened to it. Help us to build our very lives on your word and strive to adhere to it in every way as your Holy Spirit strengthens and enables us. Our only desire is to become more and more like our Saviour, the Word of God the Father. And so, Lord, continue, as you've promised, to be with us all, every day, till we see you face to face in all your glory. For we ask all these things through our Lord Jesus. To him be all the glory and honour. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look this evening at verses 1 uh, to 13. Well, a little while ago, uh, I was listening to the radio and uh, listening to a news article about the recent common occurrence of people getting stranded on the mountains in the UK, in the national parks, places like the Lake District and Snowdonia and so on. And they're getting stranded because they are relying upon their phones for their maps and their batteries run dead. The article was about how the mountain rescue teams have to go out and rescue stranded people who have no idea where they are, sometimes because the weather has turned 
and uh, they've been stuck and the phone battery has run out. Or sometimes the phone battery just runs out and they're looking around and they're just feeling like they're in the middle of nowhere and they, uh, they panic. And so somebody else who walks by who has a phone, I guess that uh, still has battery, enables them to ring uh, the mountain rescue team. Uh, the article was a plea uh, from the mountain rescue team to make sure that when you go on a walk, you take with you a map and a compass and know how to use it. The people that go on those walks without their map and compass are not prepared if the walk is longer than expected, or at least longer than the duration of the battery life of their phone. And I think this illustration is helpful for us in our passage today. This passage in Matthew chapter 25 is all about being prepared. It, 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 the, the illustration of the map and the compass and being prepared for the walk is just like these bridesmaids in the passage who hadn't bought enough oil for their lamps in order to light them when they needed them. And we're in a, a section of Matthew's gospel where we're thinking about the return of Jesus Christ. He is answering the questions that the disciples asked in chapter 24 and verse 3. Uh, there we read that they asked him, When will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming at the, and, the, and of the end of the age? And since the middle of chapter 24, Jesus has been answering the second part of that question. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And last week we heard Jesus teach that we cannot know the timing of the second coming. And he gave two illustrations regarding this. First of all, the second coming will be unexpected, uh, like a thief. And secondly, you've got to be ready for this unexpected return because it can happen at any time. Being ready is being faithful in our Christian living. And Jesus continues teaching about his second coming using parables. These are stories which illustrate what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the kingdom of heaven is basically uh, the place of God's rule over his people. And in the, the, the previous parts of Matthew's gospel, when Jesus has spoken in parables about the kingdom of heaven, he says the kingdom of heaven is like and then he describes what it is like using an illustration. And so far, those parables have shown us that the kingdom of heaven is growing as people are welcomed into it from all sorts of places as they accept the rule and reign of Jesus Christ over them. But in chapter 25 of Matthew's gospel, the emphasis changes from what the kingdom of heaven is like now to what it will be like in the future. Notice how chapter 25 begins with these words. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. So notice that it's speaking about the future at that time. And that time is referring to the coming of Jesus at the end of the age. There will be a change in the way that God rules at that point, which we'll see especially towards the end of this chapter. And the parables in this chapter speak to Christians or to those who profess to be Christians 
warning them to be ready for his return. In each of these three parables in Matthew 25, we, we see that there is a shock for those who are cast out at the end. We see that there are foolish virgins who are shocked. There is a bad servant that is shocked. And we'll see that there are goats that will be shocked. Obviously, these are stories and illustrations, uh, not literally uh, goats. But we'll see that in a a few weeks as we go uh, through this chapter. But these parables are warning us to be ready, to make sure that we're ready for the return of Christ. And in this parable today, Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13, we're supposed to be prepared to wait. We've got to be ready for a delay. Just like those walkers had to be ready for a longer walk than expected by having a map and a compass in addition to their phone, so we must be ready for a delay in the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, in the previous parable we looked at last week, the return was unexpected and sooner than the wicked servant realized. He thought he had all the time in the world in order uh, to, to live however he wanted, and then all of a sudden Jesus came, and it was sooner than he thought. But here, a different lesson is being taught. It's still an unexpected return, but we're going to see that it is a delayed return, and so we must be ready while we wait. So let's read this parable together in Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Well, before going uh, through this parable, it is worth just taking a moment to understand what a wedding was like in the days of Jesus, because it's a bit different uh, from what we have in our minds in the 21st century West. Well, this scene... Uh, really focuses on the preparations for a wedding banquet that takes place in the house of the groom. So it's a bit different from hiring a church hall. Uh, The banquet is in the home of the groom. 
and a great crowd of family and friends would fill the house of the groom and then when the bride and groom were going to arrive at the house, they would all spill out into the, the street to welcome them. And as the crowds are gathering at the groom's house, the groom and several close friends make their way to the home of the bride. And from the bride's home, the groom collects her and escorts her back to his family home where this crowd were awaiting and the marriage feast would take place. Now, when the bride was ready, she would be placed on an animal that she could ride on and with the groom and his friends would go to the groom's house in a kind of disorganized but exuberant parade. This group would take the longest possible route back to the groom's house deliberately, wandering through as many streets as they can so as many people as possible could see them and cheer them as they passed. And these virgins, which we read about in uh, verse 1, would be waiting at the groom's house, ready to escort them in with a torch-lit procession before the week-long wedding feast in the home. Now, when we get married in Western Europe, we uh, give an exact date and time and place that the wedding will take place. So you'll get an invitation, uh, usually from the bride's parents, inviting you to this location at this time to witness the wedding of Mr. Such-and-Such uh, and, -such and Miss Such-and-Such. And you will arrive on time uh, and uh, witness the wedding. But in this culture, in the time of Jesus, time was more uh, relative, shall we say. And so the bridal party, uh, the, the, the groom and, and the bride and, and, and people with him, would arrive at some point around a time rather than a specific time. And so in verse 1, we see that there are 10 virgins. And these would be the unmarried women whose role it was to escort the groom and his bride and their friends into the groom's home. And they would have to be ready to be able to do this role at the time the groom arrived, which wasn't a specific time. And they would have lamps to light, which would be used to light the way for the newlyweds, but also to provide a spectacular display of light as they escorted them in. That's where we are in uh, the beginning of this parable. That's the, the kind of context uh, that is in place here. And so in verse 1, we read that the ten virgins took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So that meant to wait outside his home ready to escort the couple when they arrived. And with time being relative here, this would be around the time they would expect the bridegroom to come. And although there are ten virgins here, there are only two types of virgin. There is the wise and the foolish. Notice that in verse 2. And Jesus explains why the wise and the foolish were such. First of all, we see that the wise are prepared for delay. Notice in verses 3 and 4 how this is pointed out by Jesus. In verse 3, the foolish ones took lamps but didn't take any oil. 
So the lamps, um, I imagine them to be uh, a jar with oil in the jar with a wick coming out of the jar that would be dipped in the oil. And once the, the, the wick was lit, it would be lit for as long as the oil was on the wick. Once the oil had been burnt off, they would have to put more oil on the wick for it to burn. And we, say, we see here the foolish ones uh, didn't have enough oil. They had oil in their lamps, but they didn't have the extra oil. That's what's not meant by taking oil. Um, we see this uh, in verse 4. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. So you've got the, the, the lamp with the oil in it and the wick, and then the wise ones had an extra jar of oil. In modern language, this is the equivalent of taking a, a flashlight with extra batteries. Except that Duracell didn't do oil in these days. It did not last very long. So as we come to the end of verse 4, we have ten virgins who all look the same. All have lamps that are lit and all look prepared and ready for the return of the groom with his bride. Now in this story, the virgins are an example of people who claim to be Christians. We have the same profession of faith. We may even look the same in terms of our behavior, but some are ready, ready for delay, and some are not. And this story that Jesus tells hinges on the fact that the bridegroom's coming is delayed. Verse 5 tells us that the bridegroom was a long time in coming. This part of the verse actually uh, makes me smile because in our culture, we always think of the bride being late. In fact, I think every single wedding I've ever been to, the bride's been late um, by some degree, uh, some obviously longer than others. I've never ever uh, seen a groom turn up late for his wedding. The groom's always here early. Um, and if the groom is anything like me, um, really hoping the bride shows up, right? But the focus of the parable here is on the groom being late, the groom being late in coming to his house. Now notice how uh, the wise and the foolish both look the same before the bridegroom arrives. And in verse 5, both the wise and the foolish, we read, fall asleep. Now I don't believe here that the sleep is any kind of sin, I don't think they've done anything wrong in falling asleep. The point of the detail of them falling asleep is to highlight the extent of the delay. It was so long in the, into the night that these bridesmaids couldn't even keep their eyes open. Now, I've been to, as I've said, weddings where there's a, a delay in the, in the bride showing up. I've never been sat in a church at midnight wondering where they are. Here... It's the middle of the night, and they're tired, and they go to sleep. And so verse 6, is the, we come to the center of the story. Now, everything uh, leads into verse 6 and away from verse 6, because in verse 6, we read this. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. It was the middle of the night. It was unexpected. And it was delayed. And the cry comes out that the bridegroom has come. And so now is the time 
that the crowds come out of the groom's house to meet them and there should be ten virgins ready to escort this couple into the home in this taut-lit procession. Now all the virgins, we read in verse 7, wake up from their sleep and trim their lamps. Now the Greek word for trimmed literally means to make ready or to service them. What this would involve would be readjusting the wicks so that the wicks have oil on them and they would refill their lamps with oil so that there was oil to burn on the wicks. The lamps had already been burning because they had been waiting for the bride and the groom to arrive. And so the delay meant that some of the uh, virgin's oil had run out. Now it's worth um, pausing here just for a moment to make sure we're getting the point. The delay of the bridegroom is key to understanding what Jesus is trying to teach about his return. He is going to be delayed. He is going to be longer than the disciples expected. But nevertheless, he is coming. He's coming at a time that we don't expect. We read in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that this delay is God's mercy. He's giving us time to repent. But the delay is not permanent. He is coming. And the point Jesus makes is that we need to be ready for that coming, prepared for it, even though it's delayed. We've got to be prepared to wait and prepared as we wait. Well, the wise were prepared to wait. They had come with extra oil. So when the the bridegroom came, they could just replenish their uh, lamps. They had the oil. They could do this torch-lit procession. The problem with the foolish virgins was that they were unprepared for delay. The foolish didn't prepare for delay by bringing the extra oil that was needed to replenish their lamps. In verse 8, we see that they thought that they were prepared because they thought they could just borrow some oil from the wise. The foolish assumed that they would be okay. Notice how this is shown in how demanding they are of the wise virgins. They say in verse 8, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. They seem to expect that they will get some. They demand it. They assume they would get it. But the wise, in verse 9, say, no. Now, this may seem really selfish. God's people are supposed to share. And yes, God's people are supposed to share. But this is not a story about sharing. This is a story about the return of Jesus Christ. If the wise had shared with the foolish, there might not have been enough for any of them. And so there would be zero bridesmaids ready to escort the couple into their home. The point here is that you can't be ready for the return of Jesus Christ by borrowing from anybody else. You're not ready by virtue of the fact you're born into a Christian family. I would say that to our children and young people. 
You may have Christian parents. That's wonderful. That's a blessing. But that does not mean you're a Christian. You can't borrow their oil, if you like. You're not ready because you're a member of a local church. I hope you are a member of a local church. That's a good and biblical thing to do. But you're not ready by virtue of that. You can't borrow oil from a local church. You're not ready because you associate with a Christian charity. You can't borrow oil from a charity, even a Christian one. And you're not ready because you might be a citizen of a country like the UK or the USA, which might claim to be a Christian country. You can't borrow oil from your country. Your readiness is about your individual standing with God. Now we're going to look at the end of this sermon, how we can know we are ready. But at this point in the story, we need to see that you cannot be ready by borrowing off of somebody else. And so these wise virgins send the foolish ones off to buy oil for themselves somewhere else. But by this time, it was too late. As they were buying the oil, as they'd gone off, we're not told uh, how they would get oil in the middle of the night, but either way, they'd gone. As they go, the bridegroom arrives. And the wise virgins would escort him and his bride into the wedding banquet in his home. Now, this wedding banquet, it wasn't just a disco and buffet like we might have. This was a, a week-long celebration that went on for that whole week. And at the end of verse 10, we read what I think are quite terrifying words. Look at the end of verse 10. And the door was shut. It reminds me a bit of Noah's ark. If you remember the story of of Noah and the ark, Noah had built an ark which was salvation from the coming judgment. And we read that Noah and his family get into the ark and the writer of Genesis tells us that God shut the door. Now for Noah... That meant that God had safely shut him in the ark. He and his family were safe inside. But for those outside the ark, there was no hope. God's judgment was coming on them. And the foolish virgins were not just missing one night, one disco and buffet. They'd missed the whole thing, the whole celebration. They were shut out of the wedding. But just like they assumed they could borrow from the virgins the oil they needed, in verse 11 we see that they also assumed that the bridegroom would just let them in when they asked. So in verse 11 they turn up at the door and they tell the Lord what to do just like they told the virgins what to do earlier. Lord, Lord, they said. Open the door for us. Well, they assumed they would just be let in, even though they had not prepared. 
Perhaps they thought that the groom wouldn't mind them turning up late. Surely the, the, you know, the Lord is kind and, and good. He's not going to reject anybody, is he, ever? We hear that kind of thing, don't we? And of course it is true in the, in the sense that the Lord is kind and he is good and he, he doesn't reject anybody who come to him this side of eternity. You see, the promise of God's salvation is not... It is, sorry, time-limited in the sense that it's only available until either we die or until Jesus returns. And that return could be any moment. Once we've died or Jesus has returned, there is no way of entering into God's kingdom. The door is shut in verse 12, we see that the problem was it was too late. Look at verse 12. Truly I tell you, I don't know you. That's what the groom replied. This doesn't mean he didn't understand who they were. This isn't an intellectual thing. But rather, they are not invited. They are not welcome because there's no relationship with them. And what's so tragic here is that the virgins themselves assumed they were welcome. They didn't think it mattered that they didn't have any oil because they, they didn't think there'd be a delay. It wasn't in their mind. And they didn't think it mattered that they were late. They showed up and they just expected to be allowed in. But they were not welcome. Now this may seem harsh to you, but here's some helpful words from Don Carson. He says that the refusal to recognize or admit the foolish virgins must not be construed as calloused rejection of their lifelong desire to enter the kingdom. Far from it. It is the rejection of those who, despite appearances, never made preparation for the coming of the kingdom. They were rejected because they had not made preparations. They just looked the part but they were found out when the bridegroom arrived. They, 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 they said the right thing. They wore the right thing. They attended the right places. Just like we can say we're Christians, we can behave like Christians. We can attend church. But they weren't ready. And many people who claim to be Christians will find the same. We read that in Matthew chapter 7. People there prophesy and do miracles in the name of Jesus. But when they come to the end of time, the Lord says to them, I never knew you. He lets you into the banquet if he knows you. If he's in a, relation, a real relationship with you. Not just because you presume that you have some kind of right to be there. And the point is summarized in, in verse 13. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. In other words, be prepared to wait for Jesus to return. And so it's worth asking, isn't it? How can I prepare? We need to know this, otherwise we're left wondering whether we are ready and we can worry about it 
which is a very miserable way to live. Well, being ready really is being able to answer two really important questions. And these two questions are about you. They're not about anybody else. You can't borrow the answers from elsewhere. How do you answer these questions? And the first question is this. Am I trusting today that Jesus has done all that is needed to save me from my sins? That is, do I believe today that his life, death, and resurrection and ascension were real events in history that were God's way of paying for the sin which separates me from him? Do I believe that today? And I say today because I've heard so many times people say, well, I I, I made a profession that I believe this decades ago. So therefore, I'm all right, aren't I? No, you need to trust in Jesus today. Am I trusting today that he's done all that is needed to save me? That's the first question. And the second question is kind of linked to it. Because those who believe that Jesus has done all that is needed to save them show that God has worked in their life by a positive answer to the second question, which is this. Am I seeking to live my life to glorify God through taking seriously obedience to his word? Am I seeking to live my life to glorify God through taking seriously obedience to his word. Now, this does not mean that we have to be perfect, but it does mean that we need to be making progress in becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, sometimes uh, progress isn't linear. Sometimes it's like this. Uh, But progress, nevertheless, in becoming more like Jesus is an important a way of knowing that we are believers. Now, we saw a little bit of this last week, didn't we? The faithful servant was found fulfilling his duty as his master intended. And we're going to see in the next couple of weeks uh, other aspects of being ready that show how our behavior, how we live our lives day by day, show our readiness. As we look at the parables of the bags of gold, and as we look at the sheep and the goats. But for this week, let us in sober judgment of our own hearts take the time to remind ourselves of the gospel, that Jesus has died for our sins and has risen from the dead. Let us say, I believe this to be true, and let us live as though we believe it to be true. As we close, I just want to um, also draw attention to something else in regards to this parable. A number of times in the New Testament, Jesus likens the kingdom of God to a wedding banquet. Now, I love weddings, uh, and I love especially wedding banquets. Uh, wedding banquets, to me, um, I, I mean, I'm not looking forward to it when I have to pay for it, for my own children, perhaps. But to me, wedding banquets scream of free food that's really nice um, and a good party. 
seeing lots of people. I, I love weddings. And I love, therefore, the fact that Jesus pictures God's kingdom in this way. It's something that is exciting, something uh, good to look forward to, that's a celebration. That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we want to be ready for, the kingdom of heaven. So let's live our lives in the light of that exciting and wonderful day to come, when we as God's people will be welcomed into this wonderful banquet. Let us make sure that we are entering in And let's do so before the door is shut. Well, our final song uh, reminds us of some of these truths. Uh, Our final song is We Belong to the Day. Will come for his patience means.
Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Amen.